Good morning, everyone. Good to, good to see you here this morning and welcome if you're joining online as well. Uh, let's pray as we come to God's word. Um, Father, you tell us that uh, you speak to us by your word <clears throat> and we need you. We need to hear from you. We ask that you would encourage us, challenge us and feed us by your word this morning and that you will give us ears to hear. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I want to start off by telling a story. Uh, it may be a very familiar story to you. Uh, if it is, I want you to imagine that you're listening to it for the very first time uh, and listen uh, with fresh ears. When Jesus heard about what had happened, he got into a boat and went to spend time by himself. But when he landed, but the crowd heard about uh, Jesus doing that and they followed him on foot from the surrounding towns. When Jesus landed, he saw the crowds there and he had compassion on them and he healed their sick. As evening approached, his disciples said to him, this is a remote place and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so that they can go to the villages to get some food. But Jesus said to his disciples, you give them something to eat. But we've only got five loaves of bread and two fish. Jesus said, give them to me. And he took the bread and the fish and he got the people to sit down on the grass in front of them. He took the bread and the fish and he looked up to heaven and he gave thanks. He broke the bread and gave them to his disciples. His disciples distributed them to the people. Everyone ate and they had enough. They were satisfied. Then his disciples collected what was left over and there were 12 basketfuls of the broken bread. Now, you've probably heard that story, as I said. But I want you to uh, think... Um, to help us uh, think about this story, I want, to, I want to do something a bit different. I'm going to get you to do a little bit of work. Uh, I want you to discuss in groups of two or three, right, with you, uh, three questions that I've got. What do you like about this story? What do you learn about Jesus? And does it remind you of any other stories uh, from the Old Testament? I'll just give you a few minutes, not, not too much time. But just in the groups of two or three, uh, talk about those questions.
Uh, well, I hope that was a useful exercise. I know we could have spent longer on that. But my aim was to help you to hear a very familiar story about Jesus a little bit differently to maybe think about it a bit more deeply. Today we'll be looking at the feeding of the 5,000 briefly uh, and then the story that follows that we had read to us, uh, Jesus walking on the sea. They are two stories that show three aspects of who Jesus is and they will be our three points. Firstly, we see in the feeding of the 5,000 that Jesus is our shepherd who cares for us and sustains us. Secondly, as Jesus walks on the water through the storm, we see that he is king who rules over the storms. And then thirdly, in the way that he protects and saves the disciples, he is the Son of God who saves us through the storm. So that's where we're going today, three points. First one, Jesus, our shepherd. Now the image of a shepherd runs right through um, the Bible. Um, God's people are often described as his flock or his sheep. A shepherd, as you know, leads and protects uh, and provides for the sheep under his or her care. Um, God is the ultimate shepherd, but he also appoints other shepherds to look after his people. Often, though, God's people, uh, Israel, had bad shepherds who didn't look, do a good job of looking after the flock. But then when Jesus came, he was different. He responded to the people with care and compassion, as we heard in our story. Earlier on in Matthew, uh, it describes Jesus' reaction when he saw the crowds. Have a look at Matthew chapter 9, verse 36. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. In John's Gospel... In chapter 10, Jesus calls himself the good shepherd. He responds there as well out of love and compassion for the people. And as we said, we just saw the same response in the feeding of the 5,000. Have a look with me at verse 14 of Matthew 14. When Jesus landed, he saw a large crowd. He had compassion on them and healed their sick. Now, it's helpful to know the context here. Jesus' cousin, John the Baptist, had just been killed by King Herod. Jesus had just got wind of the news. And he responds by wanting to get away. 
to a desolate place. He wants to grieve. He needed time to himself. But when he got ashore, instead of having a much-needed retreat, he's greeted by a welcoming committee of thousands of people, thousands of needy people. But instead of insisting on his time out and sending the people away, how does Jesus respond? He responds with compassion. He goes about healing those who are sick. Then at the end of the day, when everyone's tired and hungry, the disciples have had enough, they're ready to clock off. They say, Lord, send them away. Let them go and get food. But again, Jesus cares for their needs. He collects the five loaves and two fish. That is all the people have brought with them. And he multiplies them so that everyone has enough. In fact, more than enough. Matthew tells us in verse 20, they all ate and were satisfied and the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. Now in your small groups, one of the questions was whether the feeding of the 5,000 reminds you of any Old Testament stories um, that, that might have a similar theme. I wonder if the story of God providing manna in the wilderness came to mind. God provided manna for the Israelites escaping slavery in Egypt as they wandered in the desert. The word describing the place here in this story where Jesus fed the crowd was a desolate place or a wilderness. And we are meant to make that connection between God providing manna in the wilderness coming out of Egypt and what Jesus does here. And as the chapter goes on, that connection becomes clearer still. Jesus rescues the disciples from the storm. He brings them through the water safely. If you're familiar with the story, can you hear the echoes of the Israelites' journey coming through the sea to escape Pharaoh. So what's going on here is that Jesus is showing the people he is leading them on a new exodus. And he is the same God as Yahweh in the Old Testament. He is the shepherd who leads his people and provides for them. And not only does he provide for their physical needs by giving them bread and healing the sick, Jesus also did what Yahweh does in the wilderness. He leads his people out of slavery. Only our slavery is slavery to sin and death. Jesus is our shepherd who leads us out of that. In John chapter 10, the passage I mentioned earlier, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. Jesus did that for us on the cross. He died to provide for us, to give us the thing in life that we need more than anything else forgiveness for our sin and rescuing us from death. We still die physically, we still have to go through a physical death. 
but then we are rescued from eternal death, eternal separation from God. Jesus' healing and giving the people food is a sign of his compassion and a sign that the shepherd provides our deepest needs, rescuing from our sin. And so, friends, you can be confident that Jesus also has compassion on you. He knows your needs, no matter how trivial they may seem. And he delights to give us good things. But more than that, Jesus' compassion shows is shown most powerfully by what he did for you in dying for you, in laying down his life for you. Well, then the story moves on to the next point of the king who rules over the storms. After Jesus provides food for the crowds, he sends his disciples in a boat uh, onto the Sea of Galilee while he himself goes up on a mountain to pray. His disciples must have been in the boat a long time. In verse 23, it says that when evening came, they were already a long way from shore and they were caught in a storm. Verse 24 says they were buffeted by the waves because the wind was against them and they had to battle the storm all night because they were still at it when they see a very strange sight just before dawn. Verse 25. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. Now the word for lake here is also sea, the word for sea. Uh, and I think the ESV has a better translation when it says, Jesus came to them walking on the sea. Because that captures a very powerful image that Jesus is wanting to show the disciples. He has power over the sea. And again, it brings to mind the images of the Exodus. The Israelites there walked through the sea. The same sea that brought destruction for Pharaoh and his army. Having power over the sea for the disciples was much more than just having power over nature. Because for them and for any Israelite, the sea represented chaos and evil. The Old Testament is full of images of God calming and controlling the sea, pointing to him being in control over the forces of chaos in the world. Uh, let's just look at a couple of uh, pictures from the Old Testament, from the book of Job, chapter 9. Job says, He alone stretches out the heavens and treads on the waves of the sea. Walking on something means having absolute control over it, like walking on the heads of your enemies, which is an image we often see in the Psalms. And then Psalm 89, verse 9, You rule over the surging sea. When its waves mount up, you still them. And so Jesus is showing his disciples in a very dramatic way that he is the king. He is the king from these passages in the Old Testament. He is God who rules over the chaos that the storm and the sea represents. 
But the lesson seems lost on the disciples, doesn't it? Uh, at least at first. They don't exactly get the theology lesson. In fact, they're terrified. Verse 26, when the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. The disciples are probably already afraid because of the storm and now they see this terrifying figure walking on the water. Jesus said, take courage, it's me. Literally, he says, I am. Now in the Greek, that can just be the uh, idiomatic way of saying it's me, but it's also the name that God calls himself. I am who I am. He says to Moses uh, in the book of Exodus, which is uh, translated in the Hebrew to Yahweh, the name that we know as as Yahweh. Uh, And and it's no accident that Jesus uses the same words here, I am. He is saying, I am Yahweh. He's driving home the lesson of walking on the sea that the disciples didn't get. I am Yahweh and I am with you. Don't be afraid. I am the king who rules over the storms. Now what's important to remember here is that the disciples are not saved from going through the storm. Remember we just said that they'd been there for yonks. They'd been there all night and even before that trying to battle this storm. In fact, it was Jesus himself who sent them into the storm. It was important for them to go through that storm so that they could understand and experience Jesus being king over the storm. And friends, that's something we need to understand too. God allows us to go through the storms. We're not bubble-wrapped and carried trouble three through life. Struggling through the storms is crucial to God moulding us and shaping us and causing us to trust in him who is king over the storms. But Jesus is there with us as we battle the wind and the waves. Take courage. Don't be afraid. I am with you. Jesus is the shepherd who provides for us. He is the king who rules over the storms. And then thirdly, he is the son of God who saves us. And as it is so often with the disciples, it's Peter who learns this lesson. As soon as Jesus tells his disciples that it's him walking on the, on the, on the water... Straight away, Peter is suddenly filled with courage uh, and trust and says, If it's you, Lord, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, Jesus said. So Peter gets out of the boat and he walks on the water towards Jesus. An amazing act of faith, isn't it? And it's based on this confidence that he has in Jesus, seeing that when the light bulb goes on and he realises that Jesus really is the king over the chaos, 
the king over the wind and the waves. He's just seen with his own eyes his authority. And so Peter fixes his eyes on Jesus and walks on the water towards him. But then he takes his eyes off Jesus. Verse 30, when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried, Lord, save me. Immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You have a little faith, he said. Why do you doubt? And friends, right here we have a picture of the life of faith for all of us. We all have to walk through storms. As I said, God doesn't save us from those storms, but he lets us go through them so that we learn to trust him like Peter did in the storm. And Jesus calls us to come to him in the storm. And if we keep our eyes on him, he strengthens us, empowers us to keep walking, to not sink. And the way that we do that in our lives probably won't be as spectacular as Peter walking on the water. It may look quite ordinary and unspectacular. Maybe you are struggling in a difficult marriage or relationship. Maybe you're battling the constant pain of loss, having lost a loved one, or grieving a friendship or family relationship that's been broken. Maybe you're fighting depression or a physical illness that makes just getting through the day feel like you're running through quicksand. For you, keeping your eyes on Jesus may mean that you trust him for strength just to get out of bed in the morning and then to get to work. That you rely on him for the capacity to love the person you struggle to relate to. Or that you turn to him as the only one who gives you hope and meaning in your life. These things may feel ordinary and unspectacular in the daily grind of life. But in God's, word, God's world, they are powerful and beautiful pictures of his grace and love. We still have to walk through the storms. But when we keep looking to Jesus, he holds us up. He keeps us standing. But we don't always do that, do we? We are weak and we are sinful. So often we look at the wind and we take our eyes off Jesus. And like Peter, we begin to sink. We let our fear get the better of us. Circumstances crowd in on us and we no longer see Jesus there with us. We begin to sink. But friends, here's the good news. It's not up to us to keep trusting perfectly. We only need to be like Peter. We only need to cry out, Lord, save me, 
we may fail. In fact, we will fail. We will fail to trust him in the storm. But the king who rules over the storms is also the son of God who saves us. We can trust not in our own ability to trust him uh, or to even keep our eyes on him, but we can trust in him who is trustworthy. This story of Jesus walking on the seas shows us not only that he was able to deliver the disciples from the wind and the waves that threatened to overwhelm their tiny boat, the deeper message is that he is God, the one who rules over the forces of chaos. And once again, we see that most powerfully at the cross. Jesus died to deal with the forces of, uh, behind every evil and every form of chaos in this world. He came to defeat sin. And with that, he dealt with death. By his death, he walked on the head of Satan, the one who torments us with fear and dread of death and separation from God and from everything that is good in this life. Jesus dealt with that once and for all. We can look to him in the storms, knowing that they will pass and our future with him is guaranteed and secure. I'd like to get the band up now and let's pray. Father, we thank you for this, these stories of Jesus having compassion on the crowds, healing their sick. And thank you, Lord, that you have compassion on us. You care about our every need. You care about our our struggles, no matter how trivial or how big they are. And Father, we thank you for this story that Jesus is king over the, over the chaos. He, he rules over the storms. Thank you, Father, because we all go through them. We all go through storms. We all struggle. We all go through pain and suffering. And yet you use those things to mould us, to strengthen us, to point us towards you. And we thank you, Father, that you are, bigger than, uh, you are bigger than our faith. You are bigger than our ability to keep our eyes on you because you are trustworthy. And when we start to sink and when we fail, we can cry out to you, Lord, save us, knowing that like Peter, you take us by the hand and you pull us back into the boat. And we pray that this might encourage us today. In Jesus' name. Amen.